The Leia Marathon Show. Sponsored by Step Finance, your go-to DeFi portfolio manager on Solana. BitMEX, the OG crypto derivatives platform and the best place to buy your Bitcoin. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Layer High Plan Show. So as you know, this podcast is sponsored by the cryptocurrency exchange, BitMEX. So a huge shout out and a massive thank you to BitMEX. Because on this show, we talk about all the things you're sort of not allowed to speak about. We talk about authoritarianism, censorship, freedom, and of course, Bitcoin. So without BitMEX, we wouldn't be able to bring you such valuable and really crucial information during the times that we're living in. So joining me today, we are joined with Trainee Priest, broadcaster and conservative commentator Calvin Robinson. Calvin, welcome to the show. My pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, my pleasure. It's great to meet you. We only recently connected, um, but I I love everything that you're doing online and we're going to get into all of that. But for those who don't know who you are, just give us a brief background. Oh, I hate that question because I don't know where to go. Uh, (laughs) I I present on GB News. Uh, I used to do a lot of talk radio stuff. I write in the Telegraph, the Daily Mail, um, occasionally the Express and the Times um, about issues that I think are important in our society, such as education, faith, and culture. Let's start with the faith part, because something pretty interesting came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, and you're a trainee priest, but from what I understood, somebody, I think it was the, was it the Bishop of Edmonton, stopped you or blocked you from being ordained. So can you just give us more information about yeah, that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenging one because they, the bishops have all the authority. There are no procedures to follow. There are no policies. So you can't call them out, for example, in an employment tribunal or anything like that. But what's happened is there's been a sustained campaign against me by the Bishop of Edmonton who doesn't like my political views. Not my Christian views, not my theology, but my political views. The Bishop of London has been the person that he's been complaining to consistently. And she is the person that's ultimately, ultimately responsible for a person like me and has therefore said we're not going to take it forward and this is after you know four or five years of discernment plus two years uh, reading theology at oxford uh, all paid for by parishioners you know little, little doris in the pews has paid 20 grand to send me to college uh, and at the end of it they've said no but what i've just learned is that they've never planned on sending me into a parish you know i did a subject access request so we all have a right to see any data about us that's held by a public body um, and i saw emails going all the way back to before I even started training, suggesting that they did not like my views and did not want to see me ordained. So the Church of England doesn't want to see you ordained because they don't agree with your political views. So what, what's so bad about your political well, views? Exactly. Tell me. One example is Calvin does not believe in institutional racism. I mean, that's a very broad statement to make. But what I've said is that, you know, when the CRED report came out, the, CRED, the Sewell report didn't find any evidence of institutional racism, but found very, very... It found many elements of racial disparities and it pr- put forward suggestions on how to solve them. Ideas, actions going forward to help make this country a better place. I was like, yeah, let's follow those actions. Let, you know, let's stamp out racism. We all want to do that. But people are campaigning say, actually, well, it doesn't say that racism is institutional, so we can't follow the advice. Like, it's that word they get stuck on. What, which word? Institutional. Insti- so you, so are you basically you don't think that the UK is institutionally racist? No, I think there are many elements of racism. There are many nasty racist people, and those people need to be held to account. But that doesn't make the, the entire country racist. I can't think of any country that's less racist than the UK. It's one of the best places in the world to live as an ethnic minority. We have protections in the Equalities Act. You know, we have equality in law. We could do whatever we like if we work hard enough. But I think people use institutional racism as an excuse. It's like, oh, the system is against me. I've been held back because of the color of my skin. I can't get anywhere. Why should I bother? It's like, no, get your head down, work hard, and you'll make something of your life. And these priests are white? Yeah, always white, middle class, or metropolitan liberal elite types who say, no, you're wrong on this issue of race, Calvin. In fact, I've, I've sat down with the Bishop of London, and she said, look, as a white woman, I can tell you, the church is institutionally racist. I'm like, well, that's not my lived experience. And surely your whole... Stick, your whole stick is that you want to listen to the lived experiences of ethnic minorities. Why not mine? Is it because it doesn't meet, meet the narrative? Is it because it doesn't align with your views? Is it true that you really want to listen to us or is it just you want to listen to the ones that you can pat on the shoulder and say, you're a good black boy, you know, you, you're, you're going along with the party line. I think it's a new form of racism, actually. I think that's racist. To say to you, so you're obviously mixed, let's just make that clear for yep. those that don't know. Yep. So your mum, dad... So my mum's white, my dad's black. Okay, so isn't that a form of racism? Someone to say to you, you can't think like that. You're, you know, you must think like this. A white person telling you. I've had it all my life. You know, it's 
the left tend to think that being an ethnic minority, I have to vote for left-wing parties. I have to hold left-wing opinions. You know, this whole idea that we're BAME, that we're all one homogenous group of non-white people. That Explain BAME. I think that's Black and minority ethnic or BIPOC in the US. This idea that anyone that's not white belongs to one homogenous group and they almost vote, vote alike, think alike, and talk alike. I, I find that racist. That's very patronizing because we're individuals and we all have different opinions, different thoughts, different religions. Why should we subscribe to the left's narrative on what we think? And I think it comes down to control and power. Because if the left say, we are the party for your particular demographic, you have to stay in that box, and anyone in that box has to vote for us, that's how they get into power. But how has this narrative been able to infiltrate the Church of England? Well, the bishops are very, I use the word metropolitan liberal elite because I think that's true. They are all white middle-class people who are in an echo chamber of people around them that think alike and talk alike. Therefore, they're not exposed to different thoughts and opinions. Therefore, they have a, moral, a sense of moral superiority. And it's not rooted in scripture. It's not rooted in the religion. It's rooted in their politics. They think they can make it, the world a better place it, with their narrow-minded perspective. And anyone that speaks up against it is cast aside or silenced or shoved out. And it's not representative. You know, the people in the pews, the people in the congregations are small C conservative, but for the most part, because this country is small C conservative for the most part. Uh, most of the clergymen are small C conservative. Some of them aren't, that's fine, a good mix. But the bishops, they are the gatekeepers and they choose who gets let in and who doesn't get let in. I and they have no one to answer though. to. They've got no accountability. So what have you done as a result? I uh, just exposed it. Just, you know, I. I gave all of the emails and documents from my subject access request that shows the bishops um, campaigning against me. I sent it all to my friends at the Mail on Sunday and the Express and said, you know, run with it, take whatever anger you like, just put the truth out there, and they have done. And I don't think the bishops have liked it, but it's opened a lot of people's eyes to what's going on in the church. So let's go into that. I'm trying to understand what is going on in the church. Um, I saw a video of you talking about um, how the church is less interested in promoting Jesus, but more interested in promoting other types of woke religions. Right. Um, so break that down for me. What is the church focusing on now rather than Jesus? They've forgotten about Jesus. So you're much more likely to hear a sermon on climate change, man-made climate change. a sermon on climate change? Yeah, oh gosh, yeah. All the time. Brexit and how evil it is. Trump, even though it's nothing to do with clergy in the Church of England. Um, the bishops stood out. They spoke out against these things. They spoke out against Dominic Cummings, a government advisor. They spoke out against Brexit. They kind of moralized the vaccine and said, to be a good Christian, you have to take this vaccine, the, the COVID vaccine, of course, the one that doesn't work. Um, and I think that's inappropriate. And I think that's harmful because it's breaking down trust in an institution that had a lot of people's trust and was supposed to be there to support people. You know, talking about the pandemic, the church went above and beyond the UK government's advice and closed all the churches, not just to the faithful masses, not just to people who were lost and looking for hope during a scary time, but they closed them to the priests too and said, you can't even go in there to pray for your parishioners. I think that's a great evil. That's a great wickedness that will take a lot of people a long time to get over. Yeah, I, the Pope was even pushing the vaccine. Um, and I'm not as religious as you. I'd say I'm, I'm spiritual in mm. some ways. Um, but... From, from a spiritual standpoint, I felt that the coercion um, just felt morally wrong. Um, the lies felt morally wrong. Um, you know, I'm all about freedom and I think people should have the right to um, be free to worship, which I, I think that was sort of shut down last Easter um, in 2021. So um, how, how, can, how, can they, how can the church justify that level of sort of la the lack of ethics there? I think you're right. Freedom of choice is the key. We should have the freedom of choice, not for freedom of worship, but also for freedom of choosing to take a vaccine. If we don't believe that the vaccine has a good efficacy, and I don't think it does, then we should have a choice of whether we, t whether we take it or not. And we've seen cathedrals say you can only come to services if you are vaccinated, that you have to show a vaccine pass to get into God's house. That does not seem appropriate. You know, Jesus Christ would be among the lepers, but people who are unvaxxed aren't lepers. They're just people who've made a, an ethical choice. Um, I think that, you know, people keep showing me profile pages from the WEF website that the Archbishop of Canterbury is, is amongst them. Oh, no. Um, so I, I think there is a clear bias there that needs addressing. Mm. I think what's kind of frightening is the Church of England, for just for some context for those that don't know, is obviously one of the oldest institutions um, in the United Kingdom. Um, and so how has this left-wing, woke culture been able to infiltrate that? And also... 
How dangerous is that for just the United Kingdom at large? It's systematic. So just like with every other public body, they've taken over through the long march of through the institutions. So we've got key positions being taken over. In the Church of England, we had one woman who was responsible for selecting all the bishops. So it used to be a long time ago that you know the Queen or the, the, Royal, the, well, the monarchy selected the bishops. But then the monarchy became constitutional, so the prime minister selected the bishops and mm -hmm. put the names forward to the Queen who just signed it off. But then with Gordon Brown not being a Church of England uh, member himself, didn't want that responsibility. So he took a step back and it became a civil servant's job to select the bishops. That civil servant was left-leaning, metropolitan liberal elite, and became the gatekeeper. Mm. And now we have a whole house of bishops that think alike. What are the dangers of a church which focuses on climate change, Trump, um, equality, um, quote-unquote equality, um, rather than Jesus? Well, it's, it's, it's found a new religion, the religion of woke. And the dangers of that is that when people need help, when people need to know that Jesus Christ is there for them throughout their suffering, when people need someone to look out for their spiritual well-being, when we're locked away and isolated and lonely, or people are dying without seeing their loved ones, when they need that support, it's not there for them because the church is preaching about other things and it's got a new focus. And you know, people say, if you knew all this, if you knew the church's work, why were you joining it? Well, I, I believe that the church is Christ's body on earth, and I think that's an important thing, and I wanted to help at least be a part of a movement to drag the church back towards Christ and towards the Bible, but I've realized I can't do that from within. What does this mean then for um, issues which, which the church would usually take a stance on, like homosexuality, abortion? Right. What does that mean? What's the stance now? Yeah, so people seem to think that the church has changed its stance on these issues, but what's actually happened is, is the church has stopped teaching about these issues. Yeah. It's stopped talking about these issues. You know, it's still Christian doctrine that marriage is between one man and one woman, and it always will be because it's in the Bible. They can't change that. However, they've stopped having the conversation. So people think, oh, well, the church is lackadaisical about this. Anyone can you know, do whatever they like now. And that's not the case. It's still the case that Christian doctrine promotes sex within marriage, for example. Um, again, people think, oh, you can you know, you sleep with who you want, then that's fine. All of these things have become non-issues. Abortion, the, the church should be arguing in favor of pro-life and protecting the, the life of the unborn child. Again, people think that churches shifted its stance on that it hasn't on any of them it can't on any of them because they are biblical scriptural there are people within the church who want to see it change they want homosexual marriage they want pro-choice or pro-abortion and they want uh promiscuity but these things aren't christian tenets so they cannot have them how far do you think this is going to go it could go you know at the moment the church is having a big conversation about homosexual marriage for example and when i bring this up let me just make be clear i'm not against homosexuality i'm not against gay people i'm just saying that a christian marriage is between one man and one woman united under the eyes of God for the purposes of procreation and, 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 and go forth and multiply and all of that. It's not to say that some other people in different lifestyles are bad people or wrong people or should be ostracized. Everybody should be welcomed in the church. I just want to make that clear because people think when you're promoting one thing, it means you're against another. And that's yes. not always the case. But it's very, very clear what the Christian stance of these issues is. So let's go into this whole woke narrative because I, I feel, you know, it's clearly infiltrated the Church mm -hmm. of England. Um, it's infiltrating... Even, even, you know, even something as ridiculous like Netflix, you know, you can't watch a movie without feeling um, like you're being indoctrinated by, by something. Um, so I've heard people say the reason we now have this woke church, um, it's sort of become a religion. And the reason why they have that is because there's a lack of religion. Um, you know, society's become so secular um, and people feel like they lack purpose. You know, religion sort of grounded them. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Why do you think people are becoming so woke? No, 100%. People need something. People have a void in their lives and they're looking for meaning. And the church hasn't been there to step in and say, here we are, you know, Christ is with you. So the, the church has taken a step back and in fact closed its doors. So people have looked elsewhere. People have joined BLM protests or Extinction Rebellion or glued their faces to the floor <laughs> or, you know, attacked police horses and joined these groups because they have a sense of belonging. And it's the same with a lot of issues we're seeing today. You know, the, the whole trans debate, the reason we're seeing so many people suddenly come out as trans when it used to be such a small minority is because the moment you say you are trans, you've got a family, you've got a community, you've got a whole cohort of people there to support you. You feel like you belong to something. It's a movement. And now you don't even have to do anything physically. You just identify as well. So it's so much easier to gain entry into that community. It's so true. Um, if you identify as a victim then you get all this attention and all this love. And that's all people want, a bit of love. It's mind blowing. I think um, what's interesting, you mentioned BLM. Mm. 
So I'm guessing you don't like BLM or you don't believe in um, the, I'm sure you believe in the slogan, but you don't believe in No, the I don't even believe in the slogan. I think the slogan is problematic. Black lives matter. What does that mean? Does that mean black lives matter more than white lives? Does that mean mm. that, why, do, why black lives in particular? Why, why not Jewish lives matter? Why not Arabic lives matter? Surely all lives Peace matter brutality. is the best logo. Please, there is no police brutality in the UK, and if there is, it's it's mostly on males. It's not any particular uh, racial demographic. We've imported US politics and that. The US can handle their own business. I'm not going to get involved in that. That's that's their thing. But for people over here to be protesting to defund the police and that Black Lives Matter seems very confused to me. Yeah, that's something which actually upset me during the riots because I think in the UK we're very racially diverse. Mm. Everybody, so we all sort of just get on here. Yeah. Um, and then when the riots were happening in America, we started protesting here. Black and white people going at it. And I'm like, this is not how it happens in Britain. Black and white people don't go yeah. at it here. I mean, yesterday was Ascension Day in the UK. Uh, we celebrated it in, in the church. And the guy giving the, uh, pr saying the prayers in my church said, I want to say a special prayer to remember George Floyd. <laughs> and the I'm thinking... This guy, he wasn't a saint. It's like he's almost been canonized as, uh, and held up on a pedestal. The guy was a criminal. He was a convict, and he was a, he was a pretty bad guy in the way he treated his, his, his baby mother and the, and the drugs and the gun and all that stuff. I understand it was horrible what happened to him, but let's not pretend he was some kind of hero. Let's not pretend he was a martyr. And that's what, to, again, to bring that US politics over here, where I'm sat in a UK church, a Church of England church, hearing someone preaching about, George Floyd, it just, it riles me up. How much support do you get when you talk about these things? A lot of support, uh, a lot of quiet support, a lot of yes. DMs, emails and letters. People saying, thank you for saying what you say. I can't say it because I'll get fired. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's awful, that happens. That's crazy. People feel like they're oppressed. And they are because it seems in the mainstream media, in politics, all across the, the public square, the woke opinions are the ones you hear, but it's a very small minority. They're just a very vocal minority. Most people don't believe in that nonsense. Most, I believe that most people in this country believe in common sense and British values, but they're afraid to speak up because if they stick their head above the parapet, it might get chopped off. To what extent do you feel that you have to identify with a certain political party or narrative based on the colour of your skin? Uh, I don't. I just I ignore all that rubbish. But uh, people want me to. People want me to say... Uh, every time I speak up, people either say, thank you for doing that and encouraging me and I, I agree with you, or you're a grifter, you know, who's either, you're, you're pirating what the white master wants you to say, or you're, you're just making this up for clicks and views, or it cannot possibly be that these are my opinions, and these are, this is my lived experience. And these are always the people that are all talking about, this is, you know, let's hear more lived experiences. It's always the people that are saying, let's listen to more ethnic minority voices, but they don't want to hear them if they contradict what they're saying. I believe in what I'm saying. I say what I mean, and I mean what I say. I think everyone should do that. But it really, really gets on my nerves when people assume that these aren't my opinions. Because why? That's racism. I can't hold these opinions because I happen to have brown skin. That's your issue, not mine. It's funny. It's like modern day racism. Of course it is. But they don't see it. How would you, how do you feel we go about changing that? Because these people won't listen to you. No. Yeah, because... Feelings have replaced facts, haven't they? And it's all about how pe someone feels and their anecdotal experience. I know I've used the term lived experience so, so often, but that just means an anecdote. It means their personal anecdotes. They are weighted more heavily than evidence, facts, data, statistics. And we need to flip that back around and say, actually, if we want to make society a better place, we have to look at the big picture. We have to be evidence informed. We have to look at what's actually going on. And that's the only way we can solve these problems. If we only listen to the loudest voices, we, we're not looking at where the issue is. What I'm trying to understand is, you mentioned it's all about control earlier. Um, let's, um, let's get into that. Yeah. What do you mean it's about control? Who's controlling what and what are they trying to control? So for example, when Joe Biden says, if you don't vote Democrat, you ain't black. That's so bad. Of course it's bad. I mean, we would recognize that as probably quite racist. Yeah. But the left would say, actually, yes, because the Democrats are the party for black people. And the way they do that is that that's a whole demographic of people that must vote for their party in order to get them into power. It's the same over here with um, Jeremy Corbyn, who said, we will unlock your potential as ethnic minorities. I don't need a politician to unlock my potential, thank you very much. I'll work hard and I believe in meritocracy and I'll get by on my own. And I think on the right, we tend to believe in a hand up, not a hand out, you know, helping someone help themselves. Yes. On the left, it's more collectivism. It's more the state is responsible for you and you, you're dependent on the state and the state therefore must 
help you. And I, I think that's it's condescending because it holds people down. It holds people back. And this whole victimhood mentality is all that. You know, If we tell people often enough that they are a victim, they'll start to believe it and they'll start to act like a victim. And then they'll get stuck in a rut. And, you'll say, and then you can say, look, these black people are victims. It's like, well, yes, because you've spent so long telling them they are that they're no longer trying to get out of this rut. So... I totally agree with you. And Joe Biden also said something which really annoyed me as a female. He said something like, I will be the one to help women. I'm like, we're why do like, women need help? We're good. I was like, like, isn't that kind of just like such a, a godly mentality that he has of himself yeah, to yeah. think that he's the savior of women yeah. and or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, for me, for me, that, that's, it's such a, it's such a bizarre way of doing things. Yeah. Um, but they tell, okay, so the Democrats, the left, you know, they, they preach that, certain minorities or certain groups of victims. Mm. Do you think they genuinely think that they're victims or do you think, and I, I personally think this of the Democrats, they tell them victims so that they can stay as victims and they stay under the boot? It's a bit of both. People like Joe Biden, I think he knows what he's doing. If we look at things he said in the past, he's been quite racist on a lot of occasions. However, interestingly, if you show people clips of what he said, they'll back him up unless, yeah. you, unless you take his face off it and play them the audio clip, they'll be like, that's racist. So there's a, there's a bias going on there. But there's two types of people. There's one type of person that is genuinely wanting to help people but is misguided and thinks that the left's approach is the right way. And then there's the more malicious person who wants to keep people oppressed, wants to keep people but down. Because if the people are dependent on you, then that you're, they're going to give you their vote. For example, the whole, the whole welfare state system is set up so that you know, if you are dependent on the state to give you your paycheck, of course you're going to vote for the party that's going to give you the biggest paycheck. That's just common sense. Uh, so it's, it's detrimental to people's well-being you know people want naturally to contribute people want to be le leading meaningful lives they don't want to be stuck at home watching tv all day waiting for the next welfare check that's not natural so it's not natural but do you think i see my thing is i think by design humans always take the path of least resistance yeah. and so that's why we're in the situation that we're in because people don't want to go back to work after getting, you know, their stimulus checks or their oh, furlough. So I'm in like this two minds of, of, you know, people do want to feel empowered. And I do think, you know, when you make your own money and you're empowered and you're, you're feeling good, you're eating healthy, you're feeling great, everything's going really well in your life. You're, you, that's when you're most happiest. Yeah. But I don't think people want to put in the work that will make you most happiest because we like to take the path of least resistance. Yeah, it's not in their interest to do so. Right. So I often talk about the reason I'm a conservative is because my mother was a single parent yeah, here we go. raising yeah. me and my sister on her own, working multiple jobs to feed us, but she would have been better off at home. And a lot of her friends were at home on benefits. They were making more money than she was, but she wanted to contribute. She wanted to show me that working hard is how you get by. And I'm so thankful that she did that because that's where I got my work ethic from. But it wouldn't make sense for her to do it. And, and like I say, most people didn't. Why would you put the eff extra effort in if you're better off not doing it? That's why the welfare state is criminal. I totally agree with you. Um, and it's so funny because people often say that's so heartless. Um, but I think the heartless thing is, is making someone dependent on you and not teaching them how to save themselves. It's a misunderstanding of heartlessness and kindness. Mm. You know, as a teacher, I often experience this. I'm a strong disciplinarian. I think if a child is misbehaving, you give them a disciplinary measure, you give them a detention or something. And people say, you know, if they're coming from a deprived background or they're an ethnic minority or something, you can't expect them to do the same amount of homework. You know, if they've got issues going on at home, they've got a hard life, be a bit more relaxed with them. And like, actually, that no. That's not a kindness. That's holding them back. Because if you say, oh, poor Jimmy, you don't have to do your homework because you've got a hard situation. You know, your dad's left your mom and, and your mom's drinking. If you go down that route and let Jimmy off from his homework, he doesn't reach the same levels as the rest of his classmates. He's, you're literally holding him back. So he's, he's getting less knowledge than everyone else. Therefore, he's less empowered when he leaves school to get a good job and to make a good life for himself. And it, what feels like a kindness is actually, that is heartlessness. To, when you truly love someone, you give them, you tell them the truth, or you give them boundaries. That's what love is. Love is a kindness in, in a in a in a boundary in a bounded structure of support. It's not about giving people the freedom to destroy themselves. Tough love. Yeah, tough love. Yeah, warm strict. Yeah. Yeah. What other areas do you feel that um, wokeism is um, infiltrating? Um, you know, you, you mentioned trans. Um, so that's like gender. Now we have more than uh, two genders. Um, I know you've spoken about meat. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah. what other areas do you feel like the wokeism is, is uh, infiltrating? It's everywhere. It's everywhere we look. It's tiring sometimes. Like just living a normal life. Everywhere you go is wokeness. You know, from in the church, you walk in the church, sometimes they've got the, the rainbow flag on the altar now what? instead of a cross. Uh, you go into schools, it's the same situation. And they're saying, you know, young boys can wear skirts now as well as, as, well as the girls because they don't want to offend anybody. Um, tell me an issue of an area of life and I'll tell you where the wokeness is because it's everywhere. Okay, so you spoke about meat. Um, I saw an interview you did recently. You were talking about you went to this talk or something in Oxford where oh, they compared yeah. <laughs> eating meat to white supremacy. Oh. Can you just explain that for us? So that was Michaela Peterson debating this. I, I'm trying to be charitable here. This, this woman, let's just use her, uh, her, uh, that adjective because I don't want to use anything else because I'm just falling <laughs> into ad hominems. This person was talking about so Michaela Peterson, obviously she has a meat-eating diet. She's yeah. a big carnivore. It's, it's fantastic. It works for her. This other person was saying that uh, we should all give up meat because meat is racist, sexist, colonialist. Um, I can't remember what other ist or ism she said. It, I, just, I had to walk out. I just couldn't stomach it. Because at some point you have to say, look, this is not a, a debate in good faith. This is There's nothing we can debate with here because this is pure lunacy and I'm not going to entertain it. I'm, I'm done with you. Um, and I spoke to Jordan Peterson about it afterwards because he was laughing because obviously he could see me just storm out. Uh, he said, you know, I would have done the same, but I was supporting Michaela. But I think we just have to say to these people, I'm not going to engage with your lunacy anymore. That is, you know, you're on a different plane. That's ridiculous. There, there is no point that we can, there's no common ground we can meet on here. But they do believe it though. So I'm trying to understand, I'm trying to understand the rationale, right? Do they believe it though? Or they try to tick every box because they think, oh, we're in a university campus, excuse me, we're in a university campus, we'll, we'll talk about racism, we'll talk about sexism, we'll talk about colonialism, we'll talk about the other isms and this, and then everyone will love us. Is it about wanting people to like you? Some people genuinely believe it, otherwise we wouldn't, we wouldn't be at this point. I mean, I personally think, I mean, people might call me a conspiracy theorist, that's cool. Um, but I personally think it's because meat gives you strength, right? Meat is, is good protein and helps you build muscle and you know keeps you strong and fit. And when you're strong and fit, you can fight. Yeah, yeah. Fight whatever it is, whether it's so the... So they don't want us to fight back, is that what you're yes. saying? Yes, yeah. Okay. You haven't thought about that? No, that's deep. I don't believe in the term conspiracy theorist anymore, by the way, because yeah. all the conspiracy theories over the last two years have been spoiler alerts <laughs> and have all come true. So what do you think about that then? I mean, there must be a reason why they're brand... Because it's not, it's not just me, is it? you're giving them too much credit. No, I don't I think, think you think so. they're smarter than they are. Well, I don't think it comes from the woman who was debating Michaela. Okay. I think it comes from a higher place. Perhaps, yes, perhaps. Klaus Schwab type, yeah. World Economic yeah. Forum places. Because, yeah. um, you know, by 2030, you'll have, you'll, was it, you'll have nothing and be happy? Yeah, I, w I won't, though. I'm, I wish we had a second amendment like what they have in the United States, a way to protect ourselves from these tyrannous dictators. Well, let's talk about that because um, recently, by the time this airs, the unfortunate shooting that happened in Texas will be a few weeks ago now. Um, but that's interesting. As a British person, you feel that you would like uh, the right to bear arms? Yeah, well, it's biblical. You know, Christ said to his apostles, get yourself a sword. He said, if you don't have one, sell, it, sell your robes, get yourself a sword. And I think. Do you think that would work here? Here in the UK, it's a different issue. But we used to have the right to bear arms. Uh, we, I mean, it was still, until quite recently, the law that we had to practice uh, bow and arrow shooting just in case to protect the nation. But we have to have a way of protecting ourselves from the state. And I worry about that, especially over the last couple of years. The way that the whole West, or the Western world, so I'm including you know, New Zealand and Australia in this, the way they've gone back on civil liberties and decided that actually governments have the power to control your personal life. You know, we used to say an Englishman's home is his castle. It's up to me who I invite into my house, but no, not anymore. The government can say, actually, you only allowed so many people in your house. You're not allowed to touch them. You can't hug your loved ones. You can't go outside of your house, or if you can, only for once a day and only for five minutes or whatever. That is too much. No government should have that much say over someone's life. And if they're willing to do that over something that is essentially a cold or a flu, what are they willing to do for worse situations? And is this a test run for something else? I don't know. I'm, I'm stepping into what I said. I don't believe in conspiracy theories, but I'm stepping into that ground now because I, until two years ago, I never thought in my wildest dreams that something like that would happen, that we'd follow the ideology of communist China. And I know that Italy did it first and we'll say we copied Italy, but we're essentially copying China. Why? We, if we believe that they are a great evil, if we believe that they are a force to be reckoned with in this world and we should be fighting against their values, why are we copying them? 
I totally agree with you. Um, I'm, I'm gonna, we're gonna get into all of that actually. Um, but I wanna go, I wanna focus a little bit more on the right to protect yourself. Mm. Um, because how do we protect ourselves here in the UK? I mean, even in the US, guns didn't protect them from um, medicine mandates. I don't like to hit mm. the red flag on the algorithm with the words. Um, so medicine, medicine mandates, um, guns didn't protect them. So how do we protect ourselves from tyrannical governments? How do we? I suppose it's all about numbers, isn't it? We have to remember that we are the majority. We have to stand up. Saying that, you know, in the UK, we had the biggest protest ever against the war in Iraq, and it still went ahead. Tony Blair still went ahead with that war, even though the vast majority of people didn't want it. So I'm not, I'm not sure if a majority even works anymore. I, I have honestly no idea how we stop these, these things. It's, it, I, I lose sleep over it. It's the idea that there are a group of elites meeting in Davos right now, as we record this, deciding our fate. And a lot of people think we're crazy for believing that, but it, you know, they, they literally publish their ideas. This monkeypox nonsense, for example. Last year, there was a, uh, a war game set up, what if monkeypox becomes the next pandemic? And they- uh, A war game? Like an actual, like on the PlayStation? No, like no, as play in like global leaders got together to plan oh. what, what they do if monkeypox became no, a pandemic No, but what was a war game? Year. War game, like they play, play it out. They sit there around the table, oh, like a, like a, What's the, f the yeah, yeah, pretend UN thing is called? Um, and if you look at the timetable, they said oh, it would drop in, what was it, um, May 2022. And I mean, the timeline hit with what we're seeing now and that we're, all we see everywhere in the press at the moment is this monkeypox situation, which the symptoms aren't as severe as smallpox. It's very closely linked to chickenpox as well. In fact, it's the same vaccine for monkeypox and smallpox. And the numbers we're seeing are negligible, but the media is reporting it so heavily. And we've got... Bill Gates came out a year ago saying, you know, um, a pox might be the next pandemic and next time we'll take it more seriously and next time governments will have to restrict liberties sooner and faster and harder. As I'm like, if these leaders are saying this and they're predicting this and it's all coming true, bear in mind smallpox has been eradicated for, what, what 70 years or so and suddenly we've got a, a version of that coming out after the elites have predicted that particular uh, virus spreading amongst us. All of these things can't always be coincidences. Do you think that um, these elites, world governments, World Economic Forum, do you think that they overplayed their hand throughout COVID? I think they got away with it throughout COVID. I think there's still a vast majority of people in this country are, because people are invested in, that, in, the, in the, the medicine that they took now. So people have to believe that it worked, even though the Pfizer data drop showed that actually it wasn't 95% efficacy, it was 12% efficacy. And after like a week, it went down to 1%. So the thing doesn't work, doesn't do anything at, at, at best. At worst, it has more adverse effects than any other vaccine we've ever issued uh, in, in our recorded history. Uh, you know, they tried it with Tamiflu in 2009, but thankfully at that point, the media called it out and said, this virus isn't spreading as rapidly, it's not as dangerous, and the vaccine for it doesn't work. Therefore, this is a ma major scam by the pharmaceutical industry. And because the media called it out, it got halted. Yeah. This time around, the government got on the phone to the media um, and gave them wads of cash, uh, called it, a, 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 what, was, what was the word for it? Uh, some kind of supplement to, it to support them. Um, throughout a, a lockdown and all that situation. So the media were funded directly by the government and the, the officials were not on the phone while the prime minister was calling around the major um, news corporations. And you know, I've worked, I work in the news and I've seen the conversations that I had and the topics that you're not allowed to discuss. At the same time, they changed the Ofcom ruling. Ofcom is the independent body which regulates the media over here. They changed here. the Ofcom ruling to o what? Ofcom said you can no longer question yes, or this. undermine public health policy. You can no longer question it. What? That's outrageous. And you know, on certain radio stations that I used to frequent, the lawyer said, look, just don't touch the topic. Wow, what, uh, what radio station? I'm not gonna name them, but th these okay. are ones that we would think are fighting on, on our side. Mm, LBC probably. And if, don't, you don't have if, to. if the lawyers are that protective because they don't wanna get shut down. So who is, who is fighting for the general people? Who is, who's on our side? You and I. Alternative news. Well, yeah. Joe Rogan. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so that's why they tried to shut him down. Exactly, and Elon Musk. Yeah. Um, and again, and what happened when Elon Musk said we'll fight for free speech? All of these uh, these instances come out of apparent sexual abuse, and like, oh, that's a coincidence. Isn't it? Interesting timing. He predicted it. Um, you said you don't know how we solve this, and you said it keeps you up at night. Mm. So. For those that don't know, the way that you and I met was through Twitter, um, and we were talking um, because of uh, because of everything that was going on in Canada when Justin Trudeau um, he had his medicine mandates and the truckers were protesting, and I was very vocal because Bitcoin, yeah. um, and I don't mean to be a cliche, honestly, 
Um, but for me, I agree with everything that you said. And for me and for my community, we truly believe that Bitcoin is the solution because it's all about money, right? You even said it. You said yeah, yeah. that the government gave the media money. Yeah. So it's all about the money to start off with. Mm. You will own nothing and be happy because they'll own everything, the money. Yeah. So if you don't own, if, if, if they don't have control over the money, then they lose control. Mm. So to what extent do you have a knowledge about Bitcoin? Thank you for not saying Bitcoin fixes this. Um, <laughs> well, we'll get there, we'll get there, Calvin. <laughs> I, I do think it is part of the solution. Decentralized money and decentralized power go hand in hand. Um, this whole idea that the government wants a, a digital central currency uh, where they can essentially control where we spend our money is the most dangerous thing I can think of. You know, the Bank of England says we need to have the power to prevent people spending money in the wrong places. We need to have the, the control. The wrong places. Exactly, oh, well, meat, for example. Meat is not good for you, it's a carcinogenic. You cannot buy meat, and that, that's it, you're done. Um, green causes, uh, you can't buy plane tickets because it's bad for the environment. Of course, the elite will still swan around in their private jets, as we've seen, With they're Davos. all flying to Davos to talk about climate change. It's the hypocrisy that, yeah, it, it, I think Bitcoin could help us along the way. It's a good test case. Does it have that grassroots movement to get going and to, you know, you can sit around and talk about it quite eloqu eloquently and articulate it very well on your podcast. But if I was to say to my grandmother, Bitcoin fixes this, would I be able to put that across in a way that she would understand? Do you know what I mean? It's gotta be like, I just paid, I got a cab here, I paid the guy in cash and he was like so thankful that I gave him cash and not tried to use a card. But that's how we keep these things alive. But everyone under understands cash. We understand that it's a promise of payment and that it, uh, we don't have to go into the into the whole fiat system, but we get that handing over that note means that I have a tangible amount that I can cash in as a bank. So I'm gonna say something really cold hearted. Go on. Um, just cause I, I'm, I'm into the facts. Okay. So Elon Musk says something really interesting and he said, um, I can't, I'm gonna try to paraphrase, I can't fully remember, but it was something like, he said like death is good because without the death of the older generation, we wouldn't change and we wouldn't innovate, right? Mm. That's what he was saying. So because if everyone stayed alive and the older generation remained, yeah. nothing would change because you get to a certain age whereby you're set in your ways, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Mm. Um, you know, in the Bitcoin community, we laugh at Warren Buffett because he just can't understand Bitcoin and it's, it's funny. Um, and so that's why it's the younger generation who are more open-minded and open to change that are able to bring about these new things. Now, the interesting thing is the fact that you and I are talking. Mm. The reason that's interesting is because you're from the politics sphere. Although I'm super into politics, I'm from the Bitcoin sphere. Yeah. But we're meeting for a reason. Yeah. It's because our worlds are colliding. Mm. And so I think it's people like you who are gonna bring about the next Bitcoin revolution and the next adoption of Bitcoin. Okay. I do worry about that. I know you said you were going to be cold-hearted and you're playing it off a bit, but I do worry about that because it's the older generations that hold us back a bit, and that's important because we can't progress too quickly. And as much as I love Elon Musk for being a free speech absolutist, and I hope he does buy Twitter, I know he's playing games with them at the moment, but if he does, it'd be great. But he's also a massive liberal, a massive liberal progressive. Do you think? I don't agree with his politics. You know, he's, he, he would be he would be big into transhumanism, for example. Mm, and I think yeah. that's a dangerous line. And I think actually he'd ha probably have a lot in common with the WEF lot on that, on that front. Yes. As in they can't wait for us to all be chipped in some way or another. It's another form of control. And he sees it as exciting and, and innovative. And people like that, you know, he's well-intentioned, but people like that are what lead us down a stray path. So we do have to be careful and not, this is why I don't hear a worship him. As much as I think he's, it's fantastic what he's doing in some ways, we have to be so careful on the speed at which we process, progress, not just in trans transhumanism, but also in artificial intelligence and all of these areas of digital, the digital world, which is why having the older generation say, actually, no, I just want to use my five pound note to buy my pack of fags, cigarettes for the Americans, nothing. Uh, <laughs> um, and that's such a good thing, that's such yeah. a novelty. No, I, I understand and I agree with you. Um, and that's funny because I think that there's a meme online which is like, Bill Gates wants to put a chip in your brain. No way, Elon Musk. Yeah, let's have a chip <laughs> in my brain. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. Yeah, he, he, I do believe he is well-intentioned. Um, but no, I, I'm totally with you. But I don't think Bitcoin is that. No, no, it's not. You know, and I think that... I've, I've spoken to a lot of different people um, who are quite conservative in the UK. And they, they tend to be interested in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's, it's you guys who are going to bring about the next grassroots, as you put it. Because 
you have the libertarians, you have the people like myself who are very interested in Bitcoin, the Bitcoiners. Um, but as more things happen, like Justin Trudeau freezes people's bank accounts mm. because they don't want to take certain medicines. People like you, I do believe, will drive, will drive the next, will push the next uh, well, wave. Of well, adoption. that's very kind. I think it comes down to convenience. So the, the analogy I always look at is, you know, I spent a lot of time in America and I know, I know you're going there soon. And it's just over there is very different to over here in the way that we pay for, pay for things. The transactions are different. So I'm always surprised when I go to the West Coast in how difficult it is to just use my card or you know, just to swipe, or my, my phone. Often in the, in the UK, I know I'm a big supporter of cash, but often I can leave my house with just my phone and not be stressed, because I know that I can get on a bus and get a taxi and go in, sh in the shop and buy a chocolate bar, I can go to a cafe, buy a drink, and go out to a restaurant, I can do whatever I like, I can go clothes shopping, and it, I just go mm -hmm. In America, it's so difficult for some reason. The people that invented all of this technology, just they're so reticent mm. and it's taken a, them a long time you know things like square have come around and then there, were, there was apple pay but only in certain places and it's like what are you doing it just feels so backward but of course it like you know it, the, the rate of progress is important but over why i'm talking about that is because with bitcoin there isn't that element of convenience i can't just nip into my local shop and say can i just why you bitcoin there's there needs to be a jump there that it makes it easier for the shopkeeper and easier for the person coming in, or more convenient for them to use Bitcoin than, it, than to pull out a five pound note. And the mobile phone or the contactless is more convenient, and that's why they're winning on that front. But Bitcoin isn't quite at that place yet. Yeah, I do agree with you. I think that um, it's all about convenience. Mm. People would sacrifice democracy and mm. all that stuff for convenience. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's the, the lifelong tell. Um, the community is working on it. Um, there are different things that you can do. Um, there are different intermediaries. I mean, you mentioned Square. Um, there's Cash App um, in America, which actually accepts Bitcoin. Um, so there's loads of different things, but I don't know. I just sort of think like politically, as from like a decentralized standpoint, as the world becomes more authoritarian. Mm. I mean, you mentioned CBDCs, yeah. Central Bank Digital Currencies. Um, and actually at the World Economic Forum um, in Davos, I think it was this week, um, so they were talking about them and somebody actually said, I don't know who it was, but she was on stage and she actually said, if we do implement this, like China have done, mm. um, if we do implement this, then we're gonna need a new human rights bill. Okay. To ensure, because, because of the tyrannical potential. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then the question is, who's to say that they'll stick to that the same way they didn't stick to the Nuremberg Code when it came to the vaccines? No, absolutely. Well, they won't do because it won't be in their interest, will it? So what protection do we have? It comes back to, how do we protect ourselves from the state? And I, I still don't have the answer to that. Bitcoin is the answer. I'm sorry. Do that to <laughs> <you>. <laughs> yeah, okay. If Bitcoin fixes it, show me how. I'm, I'm, I'm open to the idea that Bitcoin does fix it. I'm just not seeing it yet. Yeah, I mean, because I, I, I am a supporter of the Second Amendment um, that we, we uh, touched on earlier. Um, it's just like, because everything's becoming digital, mm. it's like, to what extent are guns going to be helpful? Like I said, in New York, it didn't really... Mm help them well the israelis do tend to have a better um idea around that than the americans i think you know the israelis did you say yeah in what way as in you know the teachers will have guns and the security guards oh will have i guns see yeah there are other approaches yeah but i mean like that didn't protect them from uh the the green card you had to have in, it in no, israel it didn't, no so with, it, with all of that in mind, um, you know, my answer is Bitcoin. Um, where do you think we go from here in terms of, you know, woke culture infiltrating the, the Church of England, um, you know, meat being this, this, this white supremacy type of food, you know, where, where do you think we go from here? Um, we just all have to start speaking up. And I think you're right in that Bitcoin, for example, you, you mentioned Canada a few times, when they started blocking the bank accounts of the protesters and then we saw the uh, Bitcoin people saying, well, you know, we can donate via Bitcoin. So that was a great solution. So coming up with positive solutions to help the problems that we're facing is good. But in general, just normal everyday folk need to not be afraid of being canceled. Need to stand up, whether it's saying, no, I enjoy a steak and I'm not a white supremacist or saying <laughs> there are two genders, man and woman. And, you know, I know the truth. You can lie to my face, but that's your issue, not mine. Um, or whether it's saying that, you know, as a white person, I'm not an oppressor. As a black person, I'm not a victim. I just own the truth. And just speak up and if you, you know they cannot cancel all of us i'm also interested in the fact that um just sort of going going back a sec you didn't come from a religious background mm. um so i'm interested i know i know you sort of said that your mum and seeing her work hard is what gave you that um i guess that conservative mindset mm. of working hard and wanting to build something um 
But wh where does the religious part come in? I think I've always had a knowledge of God that he existed. I think we're all born with that. We, I think we all have some innate gut instinct that there is something bigger than ourselves. Um, some people deny it, some people silence it and push it aside. But I think we all, we're all born with that. It's linked to our, to our instinct, it's linked to our conscience. Um, but it took me a long, long time to find religion. And it was only when I found it, when I found the faith, that I realized that's what I've always been searching for. Um, to articulate it in a, in, a, in a way that people might feel uncomfortable with, but it was only when I had an experience with Christ that I realized that he's the one I've been searching for my whole life. And that was special for me and that changed my whole outlook on life and made me decide that actually I need to center my life around Christ. And so my politics comes from that, my work comes from that, everything I do comes from that. Uh, at least I try to um, live a Christian life as best I can. I'm interested because um, religion is very much about faith, mm. right? Um, arguably, maybe you could tell me I'm wrong, but it's not so much facts, it's faith. Um, and, you, and you know how being a conservative, we're more interested in facts over feelings. Mm. Um, so how do you navigate life with Christ at the center of it, but you know, you're, you're, basing, you're, you're basing your life off of faith rather than facts? So I see them as the same thing. So I see the problem with the left is that everything's become subjective. So everything, everyone owns their own individual truths. Everyone creates their own realities and expects all of us to live in their reality, which is actually a fantasy, it's not a reality. Um, when someone says they're gender fluid or that they are now identifying as a horse, I don't see that as an objective truth. I see that as their subjective fantasy. Whereas within the faith, we're given a, we're given a book that is directed by God, it's the word of God himself, and that is an objective truth that should shape our reality and we should be focusing on heading towards, so even if you're not a Christian, I talk about you know the enlightenment is the pursuit of knowledge. And as a Christian, we have the pursuit of the universal truth. And Jesus Christ said he was the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, so we, we're looking to center everything around him. So it's an anchor, it's a mm -hmm. point that you can always draw to. And if someone says, actually, this is the truth now, you can say, no, I've still got it. It's, it's, it's fixed, it's static, it's objective. Okay, and like I said, I don't call myself a religious person, but I would definitely say I'm spiritual because- I What does that mean? It means that I believe in a higher power. Okay. Um, and I don't know what I would call it. Mm. So I don't know if I would call it God, okay. the universe, um, but I definitely believe in like a kind, loving energy. Um, so my, my question is, like, how are you so sure that God is real? Because I've had experiences where I have been touched in my heart by God. I, I felt his presence. Um, and when I read the Bible, it reads true to me. But I think it's so important, the, the path that you're on, I mean, we all have our own faith journeys, but when you say you, you believe in a faith, you believe in a power bigger than us, I think that, just that starting point is so important because that's something I, I find that the left, many on the left, the woke people don't have. And it's a sense of accountability. It's a sense of, we are not the most important thing in the universe. And I think in their, in their eyes, they often are. Whereas we, we would say that there's something bigger than us and that's more important. Whether that's community or God, you know, having that sense of, of otherness, it's grounding, it's, it's, it's a humility. And you said it's because you've had experiences. Do you think that's because you are chosen in some way? Or do you think it's, or do you think you're just spiritually more open? I don't know. Like, why do you have your experience versus somebody else? Like, why don't I say I feel my heart has been touched by God? Like, why do you say that? I why suppose it's just you haven't needed it. I suppose what happens in our lives directs us down a path, and sometimes we need a bit of a kick up the backside, and sometimes we don't. And you might be on a on a good journey to get to where you need to be, without need without any prompting. Or there might be something that happens later in your life that prompts you and, you, and, and opens your eyes to, to God. Um, I, can't, I can't really comment on that, but my own personal experience is that whenever I've needed God, whenever I've said prayers for something, those prayers have been answered, or at least I've felt that they've been answered. And that's been important to me. That's really interesting. Um, I'm always interested to hear people's perspective on God. And I know, because obviously you center your life around um, the religion. So. What, what, so what are you doing now, essentially? Um, I know you're at GB News. Yeah. Um, 
when will you become a priest? Are you still becoming a priest? I What's will. happening? Um, at GB News, I'm launching a new show on faith and family. Nice. Very soon, hopefully. Congrats. Thank you. Um, and I'll be ordained next month, and I'll be a priest in... Um, well, the GAFCON movement, which is growing in North America. It's much smaller over here. What does that stand for? Um, well, it's the Global Anglicans Future okay. Conference, but it's about being an Orthodox Anglican. So I would say, you know, people say, why have you left the Church of England? I would say the Church of England has left me. Uh, I, I think it's left the faith behind and, and addressed a new, new religion. But there are lots of Anglicans around the world that hold dear to the Anglican formularies of, you know, the Bible and the Book, Book of Common Prayer, uh, the 39 Hour Schools. Um, so I'm joining their group, um, being validly ordained, um, I'm going to set up a church in London oh, wow. very, very soon, and you're welcome to come along. I will do. Um, yeah, so I'm going to get on with my public ministry on GB News and my parish ministry in London. That's amazing. Major congrats on all Thank of that. Um, do you? Would you say part of that um, in any way is maybe, in any way do you feel like you would like to undo the woke the wokeism that's infiltrated the United Kingdom? Do you feel like that's something you're now going to dedicate a little bit of time to as a priest? No, it's too tiring. It's too, it's draining. I think instead of trying to undo the wokeness, I'm trying, I'm going to try at least to offer an alternative. Um, you know, my church will be a space that is rooted in faith, rooted in Christ, rooted in objective truth. And if people want to escape the madness of the world around them, they're welcome to come here. Okay, amazing. And where can people find you and follow you? Um, so I have a website, evangelicalcatholics.co.uk. People can put their email address in and once the church is planted, I'll let them know. Uh, but I'm on all the social media platforms at Calvin Robinson. Calvin, I want to thank you so much. It's been so fascinating hearing your perspective. Um, and it's, it's really just so refreshing to speak to people who see reality um, and are also brave enough to speak up um, with regards to everything that's going on at the moment. Well, thank you. Keep fighting the good fights. Always. Thank I'll, you so I'll much. I'll hold you in my prayers. Oh, thank you. Likewise. Guys, thank you so much for watching. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to hit the like button and hit subscribe so you can support the channel and you never miss a video. And also a massive thank you to our sponsors, as always, BitMEX and Step Finance, because without both of them, we wouldn't be able to bring you such important content. We'll see you next week. The Leia Heilpan Show.